Today we're going to resume our study looking at great men of the Bible. We've been doing through this for several months. Uh, we are now looking at the life of, of Paul, the Apostle Paul. Uh, again, I say every week, I believe most likely the greatest believer uh, to, to live uh, a, a profound impact. This is a f- our fourth week looking at the life of Paul. I want to start off with this question today. And, and here's the question for each of us. Are you content to lead a mediocre life? Are you content to lead a mediocre life? You see, I, I think the world has lured us as men. And I'm, I'm going to speak to us as men. Uh, I think the world has lied to us as men to buy the idea that average is fine, that, that good enough is good enough. And we're, we've listened to that. You know what? Good enough is good enough. And that just getting along, getting your bills paid, moving to the next week, uh, just getting along is okay. In fact, that's, that's the goal of life. And I think the world has, has made us think, you know, if you can just get along, if you can just get through your working years, if you can just get to retirement, if you can just move through retirement, uh, that's good enough. That's the goal of life, just to, just to be mediocre. Um, I'll say this, and I'm going to be very honest with you, and I've upset some folks over the years by saying this, but I I think that understanding, that idea, has actually sissified us as men. Uh, I truly believe that, and this is what I've said, and it upset some folks. Uh, I think that has made us today declawed, lazy housecats, and as long as somebody will keep our food bowl full, and as long as ESPN's on the TV, that we'll just sit there and purr. And I, and I think you watch me, you know, as long as ESPN's on TV, I got my food bowl full, uh, we'll just sit there like a bunch of house cats and we'll purr. Good enough is good enough. Well, I, I want you to know this, and I want you to hear, and man, I pray that God speaks to you today. Do you know your wife wants you to be a man of God? In fact, she needs you to be. Your kids, more than any generation, your kids want you to be a man of God. They need you to be. Your church needs you to be a man of God. Not that the women would do that, but that men would serve in their church. Our world, I believe this, our world is actually looking for men to stand up. And you know what? All the athletes are standing up and the actors are standing up. Our world is looking for men that will stand up and walk as a follower of Jesus Christ, live as a follower of Jesus Christ, and use their mouth to lead people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I believe the world's actually looking for that. We'll say, you know what, that guy, man, he's something. This guy over here, he's something. Listen, I believe the world is looking for men to stand up and to do big things and point to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, here's, here's the truth. Here's the message. You have all you need to do that. And I think the lie is you do not. Well, you're, you're not equipped enough. Well, you're not ready for that. You have all you need to be that man. The husband your wife needs, the dad your kids need, the church men that the church needs, uh, the witness in the world, you have all you need uh, to do exactly that. Uh, Last week in our verses, we looked at the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus. Uh, That's in Acts chapter 9. If you remember, it's a pretty awesome event. Uh, For sure, it's a miraculous event. Christ appears to Saul. He's got some papers. He's going to Damascus to kill Christians, to take Christians back to Jerusalem. And and, and as he goes, Christ appears to him. 
Uh, he is saved, radically saved, radically transformed, and he believes in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Well, today I, I want to go the follow-up to that. And that, that's awesome. That's tremendous. And I, I just want to look at the verses uh, th- that follow that and see what happens next. And so I'm going to continue in Acts chapter 9, and then at the end I'm going to take these verses, I'm going to take this episode, and I'm going to apply it to us uh, as we sit here today. So I'm, I'm going to start back in Acts chapter 9. Uh, I'm going to start in the 19th verse, and I'm going to work us through these verses. Now, for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. Uh, now, th- think about this for a second. These were the people that he went to kill. These were the people that he went to capture and haul back to Jerusalem and now he's spending a few days with these people. What a, what a radical change has, has, has been wrought. What an what a amazing thing has happened. Now, the interesting thing is they know who he is. They know what he's done. They know that he's had Christians taken and stoned. They know his past. And I think as weird as it had to be for him, it had to be crazy weird for them. This is the guy that was coming to get us, and he spends a few days there with them. A radical transformation has taken place. Okay, verse 20. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. Verse 20 says this right off the bat. He begins to proclaim the truth. And, and it says he begins to proclaim Jesus. Now, very specifically, it says he begins to proclaim Jesus is the Son of God. Now, I, I want you to understand what his message is. Uh, what he is saying here is the opposite of what he has been saying. He'd been saying, you know what, Jesus is a lie. This whole movement is a lie. Now he is saying Jesus is the truth. In fact, Jesus is the Son of God. Now, what that would have meant for them is, is he is the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the Son of God. He is our Savior. Now, I want you to notice something here. With the change that's taken place in his heart, he couldn't help but keep it to himself. And I I thought about that for a second. In, In our understanding, we would think, well, maybe I better be quiet for a while. Maybe I better go have some quiet times somewhere. Uh, Maybe I better lay low for a while. Maybe maybe there's some folks looking for me. Maybe I better get in the church for a while. I'll just get in the church. You know what he does? He immediately begins to reverse the message he was speaking. He says, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He begins to proclaim the truth that changed his heart. I want to tell you there's something there for us to see. Having received the change, understanding who Christ is, we ought to quickly proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. All right, going back to the verses, verse 21. All those hearing him continued to be amazed. I bet they were. And were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name and who had, and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? Is it not that guy, verse 22? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Listen, he was a scholar. He understood the scriptures. He actually is proving, let me tell you how it adds up. Let me tell you the truth. He is proving that this Jesus 
is the Christ. He's the Messiah, sin of God. Verse 23. When many days had elapsed, time's gone by, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. I think verse 23 is pretty interesting. They're taking up his old cause. You see, that's why he came. He came to destroy them. He, tried, he came to capture them. Well, you know what? They take up his cause. He starts to proclaim the truth, prove the truth of who Jesus is, and they start to remember his words. You know what? We've got to kill this movement. And the way to kill the movement, the way to stop the movement is to kill the leaders of the movement, to discourage the leaders of the movement. And, and I think it's probably worse for him because now he's a traitor. Now he's a turncoat. He's, he's, he's turned and jumped to the other side. And so they began to say, you know what, we've got to kill him. We've got to take him out. We've got to silence his mouth. Verse 24. But their plot, they began to talk about how they're going to kill him. Verse 24, their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they may put him to death. You know, he's got to leave the gates sooner or later. We'll catch him. We'll kill him. Verse 25. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. Now, I want you to think about a, different, a difference here. He came to town with an entourage to capture Christians. He leaves town in a basket lowered out of a window. He, he came to town rejecting the truth he goes out of town as a basket of the truth. He knows who Jesus is. And so these, these, these disciples, they lower him out this rope, drop down, and, and he gets outside the city walls. He's going to leave Damascus. He's going back to Jerusalem. But his disciples took him by night and let him down out of an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. All right, verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, he goes back to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. Here's a weird thing. He's back in Jerusalem, and it's in Jerusalem where they watched as Stephen was stoned. It was outside of Jerusalem where they see the stones as they, as they crush in and they smash Stephen and they remember that, that Saul, that Paul was the one that ordained that. He was the one that oversaw that. They laid their coats at his feet as that happens. Well, now he comes and he's saved. Now he comes and he's a believer. And, and here's what's happened. He doesn't fit over there anymore. In fact, they want to kill him. But he's, he's trying to associate with the disciples. He's trying to fit in over here. And they're not for it. They're not sure. Well, last thing we remember of him, he, he was trying to kill us. And so they say, no, we don't want him. We're going to kill him. And they say, we're not sure of him. We don't know what to do with him. And so here's Paul caught there in the middle. All right, crazy thing happens in verse 27. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas comes, he takes him, he introduces him to the apostles. Now, let me, let me, let me say, um, if you read the accounts of Barnabas, Barnabas is actually something else. We, we talk a lot about Paul, we should, but I want to tell you, Barnabas is something else. 
He is a bold man. And I'll tell you this, he is sure of his faith. He knows what he believes. But add those things to this. He is also a great encourager of men. He is a great friend of believers. His name actually meant, his nickname, the son of encouragement. And so here comes Paul, Saul, and you know what? He's not welcome over here. They want to kill him. He's not welcome over there. They're not sure of him. He's been changed in the grace of God, and and he doesn't fit in any camp. And, And he comes and he takes Paul, and he takes him to the apostles. And then notice the verse, he defends his case. Paul doesn't have to talk. He defends his case. He breaks the ice with the apostles. And and, and there he takes his credibility. Y'all know who I am. And he lends his credibility to Paul. And he introduces him to the apostles. Here's something that's kind of just a side note. The world needs more Barnabases. The world needs more Barnabases. You know what? The, The world needs more godly encouragers. You ever, you ever notice that? The world, the world needs people that would take up somebody else's cause. The world needs people that, that would take care of other people. You know what? Barnabas didn't have to do that, but that we would take care of other people. We need people that go and would put out fires. You know what? Let, let's, let's de-escalate this. Let's put out fires instead of people that rush in to pour gas on fires, to stir things up. We need more Barnabases in the world. Let me just say this. We need more people that are true friends in the world. Barnabas becomes Paul's great, great friend. You know what? Let me take you. Let me give you my credibility. And let me ease your pain. And let me introduce you to the apostles. All right, verse 28. And he was with them. He's now with the disciples because of Barnabas. Moving about freely in Jerusalem. That's wild. Speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. What he, what he had done in, in Damascus, he now goes and does in Jerusalem. And remember, it's the hotbed. It's the, the hotbed of hatred for Christianity. And he goes, and, he, and what he started in Damascus, proclaiming the truth of Jesus, he goes about it. says he goes about freely in Jerusalem, talking about the, the good news of Jesus. Verse 29. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. They're trying to kill him. They're trying to put him to death. You know what? We'll catch him out here. You know what? We'll drag him back into an alley. We'll catch him as he, as he goes out some doorway. We'll get him right there. They're trying to kill him. Verse 30. But when the brethren, that, that right there is just an awesome word. The believers. When the brethren, when the, when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. They get him out of town, get him, off, get him out of the danger, the immediate danger, and he goes on. Now, we, we, we won't look at it, but he goes and he, he spends time. He goes to the, the desert of Arabia. He, he, lo- he learns. He grows in his walk. He grows in his faith. And then we're going to see him come back with a further, he, a fervor. He's going to relaunch when he comes back. But right now they get him out of danger. The brethren come and they, they slip him out of town and he goes to Tarsus. All right, here's three truths for us out of these verses. And I, I want you to hear these and, and listen very carefully. Three truths for us that we see come out of these verses. First one is this. You have what you need to testify to the truth. You have what you need to testify to the truth. Now, I can already hear some of you say what I, what I would have used to have said. You know what? I'm not a preacher. 
You know what, I'm not a preacher. I don't know all the verses, my lands. I'm going to get tripped up. I don't know all the verses. You know what, that's not me. That's not me. I don't like to talk about those things. Somebody else is going to have to do that. Somebody else will be a better fit for that. I want you to see this. Paul got saved. And what does the Bible say? Immediately he began to proclaim Jesus Christ. When you got saved, and I, and I, I, want, to, I want to stress this. I did it last week. When you got saved, it was just as miraculous as when Paul got saved. Well, I didn't see Jesus like that. Maybe you didn't, but you did see Jesus. Well, I wasn't confronted with my sin like that in a blinding light. Let me tell you, you were confronted with your sin. When you got saved and you saw your sin and you understood your sin, and when understanding your sin, you began to see the need for a Savior. And when, and when the truth of the gospel was preached, you saw that Jesus is that Savior. And when you placed your faith in him, when you trusted him for the forgiveness of your sin, I want to tell you from that point forward, you have all that you need to testify to proclaim the truth of Jesus. Listen, do not believe any other lie. Satan's got us whipped. Well, we go around today, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm talking right now, th these days, we go around today and act like it takes a Ph.D. from a seminary to teach people how to get saved. You know what? I can't ever do that. I'm a farmer. I can't ever do that. I sell insurance. You know what? I can't ever do that. I, I work it for the school. If you're saved, listen to me. You are equipped. You have the words because you are saved, and you have all you need to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. Do not buy any other lie. You have all you need to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. All right, second thing is this. You have all you need to testify to the truth of Jesus Christ. Second thing is this. You have all you need to be a testimony to the truth of Jesus Christ. Now that sounds very similar. It's not. I'm going to explain that to you. You have all you need to be a testimony to the truth of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice something. When Paul got saved, they saw a difference. And you read those verses. They said, is this not the one? Is this not the one that had the letters that came to get us? Is this not the one? But we can't understand that this is the one because he doesn't act like the one. The Bible says they are confounded. They are confused. They see a difference. They saw his life was changed. They heard from his mouth. His message has changed. And I want you to see this. His new life was a testimony to the truth of Jesus Christ. Here's the question. Is yours. Is your life a testimony to the truth of Jesus Christ? Now listen, we're going to preach the gospel with our mouth. But that doesn't negate the fact that your life is to be a testimony to the truth of Jesus Christ. If somebody slipped up and watched you, would they say that you're new in Christ? If they saw your response as the thing, would they say, you know what, they have a new priority in life because of Christ? Would they say, you know what, this is a man that's led by the Bible, the Word of God. We've been watching him. This is a man that's led by the Bible. What would your language say? What would your attitude say? What about how you live, the, the details of your life? Would people better say, this is a person that has encountered Christ and they believe the truth and there is a radical change in this person? What would your wife say? What would your kids say? 
What would your coworkers or maybe your best friends, what would your best friend say? I want you to understand this. I'm not trying to beat you up or knock you out. If you're saved, the Bible says you've been made new. And the Bible says you've been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 1.13, you're sealed with the promise until the day of redemption. If you're saved, we have the truth of the Word of God. You're filled with the Spirit of God. You possess the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have everything you need for your life to be a testimony to the truth. Let me tell you the lie. The lie is that, well, it's not me. Nobody's watching me. It's not me. Maybe later. Maybe in my 30s. Maybe in my 50s. Maybe when I hit my 70s, I'll be a testimony. Maybe later. Maybe when I get in church. I can't now. I'm, I'm making a living. Maybe when I get in church. Listen, that is a lie. You have everything you need for your life to be a testimony to the good news of Jesus Christ, the truth of Jesus Christ. Do not believe any other lie. You have all you need for your life to be a testimony to Christ. Last one is this. Man, we see it in Paul. You have everything you need to testify to the truth of Christ. You have everything you need for your life to be a testimony to the the truth of Jesus Christ. Here's the last thing. You have everything you need for your life to count for much. For your life to count for much. I want you to listen to this and I want you to hear this very carefully. What about your past? What about your reputation? You know what? God can't use me. You don't know my reputation. I want to tell you, Paul killed people. He spewed hate wherever he went. What about your reputation? They didn't even want to accept him. The believers didn't want to accept him. What about your situation? Well, you don't know my situation. Well, I, I, I'm broke. I don't have enough money. Well, I've been known for this. You know, what about my situation? It's not ideal, not where I thought I'd be. What about your situation? Well, I, I've been through these divorces. I've had these things happen. What about your situation? I'm, I'm too far gone. You know what? I'm going to get better and do better later, and that's when you'll find me there. What about my age? You know what? I'm too young. I'm too young. I'll do it when I, when I grow up. You know what? I'm too old. Life has gone by. Life has passed me by. I'm at an age that I'm going to sit down. And we go on and we say, what about this? And what about that? And what about this? I think about Paul. Saul at this point. As he slips out of town, that's when the story really begins. You think about that, man, it's a a marvelous conversion. It's a great testimony. He's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But do you know when he slides down a a wall in a basket, when they get him outside of Jerusalem later, when he leaves and he goes back to Tarsus, that's when the story really begins. How many people did he lead to Christ? How many people did he? I, I can't even imagine How many people did he lead to Christ? How many churches did he start? And and he may have led someone to Christ that went and started a church. How many churches sprung up? And how many churches across the southern region of Galatia? How many churches the one in Ephesus? How many churches the one that grew out of Ephesus and went to Colossae? How many churches, entire churches, started because of the man that slipped out of town that day? How many pastors did he train? Guys that he may not see once he sent them. They're going to teach the truth of God's word. How many pastors did he train? How many questions did he answer? 
I think about that. Read the book of Romans in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, 1 and 2 Timothy, 1 and 2 Thessalonians. How many questions did he answer? Hey, how did he tell us what we're saved from? How we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ? How many questions did he answer? What's going to happen when we die? You know what? We're absent from the body and present with the Lord. How many things did he, did he lay straight? How much glory did he bring to God? This guy lowered in a basket, pushed out of town as he slips away. How much glory did he bring to God? How huge was his impact? You and I have everything we need to make a tremendous impact for the glory of God. Listen, we have the word of God. We have the word of God. And you know what's not missing? Nothing. From Genesis to Revelation, we have the Word of God. We have, we have the Spirit of God. Our Bible study last night, we're filled with the Spirit of God. The power that walked Jesus out of a grave, that same power is in us. The power that exalted Him, made Him the head of all dominions, that power is within us. The power that made Him the head of the church, we're the body, that power is within us. We have the Word of God. We have the Spirit of God. Listen, we have the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it is still the power of God unto salvation. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want want to end by saying this. Mediocre is a lie for a follower of Jesus Christ. Mediocre is a waste. You know, you can go to heaven and be mediocre. I, I don't know how that sits right with your heart. But what a sad thing to meet a glorious, marvelous Savior Jesus and to come slipping up mediocre. Kind of, kind of goofy, but years ago, years ago, for sure, at the end of a football game, I can remember when you, when you came back in the locker room after a football game and you'd have a broken finger and, and some kid from Tyler hit me in the mouth and split both my lips and you got blood in your teeth and you're all beat up and you're tired and, and sometimes you lose five, six pounds, you're dehydrated. And you come, and I, I remember the feeling you come in that, and your cleats click as you walk in and you're soaking wet and sweat and you sit down and it feels pretty great. And that's for a pathetic game. Let me tell you this. Here's how I want to go to heaven. I, I want to go to heaven and I, I don't know when that's going to be. I hope Jesus comes back and it looks different than I think. But you know what? If he hasn't come back someday, and I don't know how it's going to be, I'll tell my wife my heart attack's going to be so hard it's going to hurt her. Uh, I'm gonna, I, my heart's going to stop, and I'm going to sit down, and they're going to take me, and they're going to put me in a casket, and they're going to shut that lid, and I don't know what they're going to say. I really don't care what they're going to say at that point. But the, upon that, the Bible says, because of the grace of Christ, that in the instant that I die, the one that saved me, I'm going to be in his presence, and I want to go to heaven. I want to limp into heaven. I want to go to heaven and I want my voice to be hoarse. I, don't, I want it to just squeak out words when I get to heaven. I want to come to heaven and I want to be exhausted when I get there. And when I get there and I'm limping and my voice is gone and I can hardly breathe, I want to sit down at my Savior's feet and I want to say, you know what? None of that was for anything except all glory be to Jesus Christ. All glory be to Jesus Christ. Mediocre for a follower of Jesus Christ is a lie. 
It is a lie. You have everything you need to go tell people about Christ. We have everything we need to have a life that's transformed, that points to the gospel that we're going to preach. We have everything we need to lead a life that matters. I don't know. I almost feel like clapping and just running out these doors when we get done. Ready, break. You have everything you need to bring much glory to Jesus Christ. That's what matters. That's what matters. Be that to the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'll lead us in a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come and I'm thankful for you and I'm thankful for such a Savior. And Lord, don't let this be about any of us, but let us be about Jesus Christ, the one who came, the one who went to the cross that took my sins, our sins, Paul's sins, that took him to the cross, that, that, that took the shame and the guilt of those sins, the garbage, the nastiness of those sins that bore him upon himself, that took the hatred towards that sin of God, poured out upon himself and then carried it far away, as far as the east is from the west, paid for it, the propitiation for sin, the Lamb of God. Lord, I'm thankful for Jesus. Lord, I'm thankful that he didn't just die for our sin, but he rose from the grave. And he stands as the conqueror, the victor over death, the victor over sin. And then he stands as the risen reigning king. And I'm thankful that he's in heaven now. And I'm thankful that, that one day he'll come back for us. I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit of God that, it, that indwells us, that empowers us, that'll, 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 that'll lead us and direct us, empower us for your glory. And the Lord, I pray for the men and the folks in this room. I pray that mediocre would be so putrid to us that we couldn't help but open our mouth and we couldn't help but walk in obedience. And I pray when all of us get there that we fall down and we say, Lord, thank you all. Glory be to Christ. We love you, Lord. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.